three points for Wade Head. Welcome to a very special edition of the NRL podcast. My name is Chris Kennedy. I'm joined in the studio by NRL.com senior reporter and 1999 premiership winning halfback from the Melbourne Storm, Kangaroos and Blues legend Brett Kamali. We're here to talk about the 99 grand final and its significance in the modern era of rugby league. Thanks for joining us, gents. Yeah, no worries, Chris. It's uh, It was a really significant game, the 1999 grand final. Um, it was the... Uh, an expansion team based in Melbourne. Rugby League had never had a team in Melbourne before, obviously, or outside of New South Wales and Queensland and uh, and obviously Auckland. Um, it was also the, the first merged team, first merged entity, St George and Illawarra merging to form the St George Illawarra Dragons. This is before the West Tigers and the Northern Eagles uh, came came to life. And it was, um, it was at the Olympic Stadium the year before the Sydney Olympics, um, a world record crowd of 100 and... 7,999, I think it was. It's still the biggest crowd in rugby league or rugby union um, history anywhere in the world. I can't see it being being beaten. And there was just uh, so much hype and uh, uh, expectation around the game. And you said it was the first grand final at the Olympic Stadium and we're just about to come up to the last grand final before they knock it down. So, yeah, uh, it was a pretty amazing time. You talk about the 107,000. I, I certainly remember that it felt like there was... 60% of the crowd were St. George Illawarra fans for 50 minutes, 60 minutes of the game. <laughs> and anyone that hadn't made a noise for that venue or hadn't been there, all of a sudden all become Melbourne Storm fans as we got back into the contest. And I think they could see it becoming a, a close finish. Uh, and I think obviously you, a lot of people just go to the NRL and you talk about a huge fan base being out there. And uh, I think it was relief at full time more than celebration. I, I think the feeling at half time was... Horrible. Uh, I remember doing a chip kick just before half time, and Nathan Blacklock had gone 55 metres and scored. And Robbie Ross and I had bumped into each other, and I remember him sort of saying to me, "Oh, look, just forget about it. You know, if we sort of need you to win win the game in a way." And then and then to go in at half time absolutely shattered. And Chris pretty calmly just said a few words that would turn, it would change. And and I thought, you know, I thought to wear a nick out who. He's one of the scariest humans I've played <laughs> with or against. Uh, the mullet was flowing everywhere and he took some heads off and, and changed momentum. Mundine doesn't score a try or doesn't pass a ball, which still keeps us in the contest. And um, It's the best club I've played for in my whole career. Uh, we only went down there a few weeks ago for the 20-year reunion from about the premiership side. Um, the mateship it was formed, um, the closeness of what we all were at the time and all we, what we still are. Going to a new city where we knew no one outside of it, the big scary world of driving down the freeway from Newcastle to go to a team called the Melbourne Storm, uh, purely for a coach called Chris Anderson, uh, who coached a style of footy that I wanted to play. But the success that came instantly was was not known. Uh, we'd all come from Hunter Mariners, Western Reds and bits and pieces of other clubs just to merge a new identity. And uh, it, as I said, it was... The, the best club I played for, it's the only club I played for where technically you knew... Not technically, you knew everyone's name in the office. You felt like you were a, a club more than just a football team and we were successful from day one. I remember the very first game at Olympic Park, it was a, nearly a, it was a sellout. We had to wait for kick-off the game because we'd played... I think, I think in 98 we played the first three or four games away from Melbourne and then we played round four, round five at home. Mm -hmm. Paul Marquette scored the first mm -hmm. try, which became the first try score ever for the Melbourne Storm in history and... And from then on, I think we just embraced that we were going to be we we're going to be successful. Kamali puts the kick over and across. There's a try coming. Craig Smith. Craig Smith has put it down. Has he put it down legally? Oh, Was like... he onside? Well, Did on. he get it down? What about the high tackle from Ainsgate? 
He got absolutely hammered. I think you'll find that Bill Harrigan is about to make one of the biggest calls ever been made. The 1999 grand final is famous for the way that it ended with yeah. the, the penalty try uh, and to Craig Smith, um, you know, which basically decided the match. It's um, been just described as one of the bravest calls uh, made by a match official uh, in, in history, although I think probably everyone these days would agree it was the right call. But I think maybe we should just set the scene a little bit mm. as well. Like so I said, it was 1999. It was after the Super League. The Melbourne Storm came about after the Super League War. As you touched on, Noddy, players from the, the Western Reds, the Hunter Mariners in particular that, that made up that team. It was a superstar lineup. the likes of Glenn Lazarus, yeah. Tawira Nickow, Stephen Kearney, yourself, Scott Hill, Robbie Ross... Um, Robbie, so, Howell, Robbie Kearns. Yeah. So I think well, for for a lot of us, technically, like Stephen Kearney was assigning the second season. Obviously, um, Glenn Lazarus was our captain, and Tuera Nickow, and probably Robbie Ross were the three senior players. They probably built the club round. Um, you know, and then obviously Rodney Howe and, and Robbie Kearns had played first grade football for a number of years at in, at the Western Reds, and then I think the other side of it, you know, obviously Scotty Hill and I played half a season together at the Hunter Mariners who end up, we got beaten in the World Club Challenge in 97. Johnny Carlaw was there, Richard Swain was there, Paul Marquette was there uh, and we were sort of the six players that went from the Hunter Mariners to Melbourne. We, we were just kids starting our careers but it sort of had instant success together and, and wanted to play together um, and then they'd bought some other players from, from bits and pieces of, of sort of everywhere and we trained extremely hard. Uh, we had a trainer that was ruthless. Uh, we had a physio uh, well, I think still the best physio in the game or, or, or man manager in the game in Tony Come Abe, on. who's been around for a long while. Um, Chris Anderson took a lot of the, the, the Canterbury-Bankstown culture and family beliefs to Melbourne. And then Glenn Lazarus, John Rebo and Chris Johns brought the success of the Broncos as owners and CEO to the venue. And, and, and then, you're right, we, we, we bonded extremely well. We hung out together. We were best mates. We were in a city that no one, no one sort of cared too much about you in a way. So you had a bit of... Re, bit of time away mm -hmm. from the game um, you know we, we had no real pressure we love coming to Sydney we, we based ourselves out of um, out of Brighton La Sands no matter where we played in Sydney so we sort of always had a home base always would go across the road to La Sands for dinner so we become pretty much routine to home and away venues um, social clubs after the game and um, you know 98 I don't think we even I don't remember in a way even making goals you know where we're going to finish what's going to happen it was just let's let's just play footy and see what happens and then and then I think, you know, I think we, we didn't really think about even winning a premiership, or I didn't anyway, being a young age. But I'd, I'd sort of won a comp in 95, playing reserve grade at Newcastle. 97, we finished second in the World Club Challenge, get picked for Australia. 98, you make a semi-final. I think Brisbane beat us in, in the second week of the finals. And then 99, we go to Portsea, round 23 or round 24 it was. You know, we're at the top of the ladder. Um, some of our players had started playing for the New South Wales side and playing some rep football. And as Chris would do, we'd, it was a fun couple of days away. You train hard, you have a few beers, you socialise together, have a couple of days off. Scotty Hill goes back to Foster for the weekend. Unfortunately, has an incident where he gets hit over the head with a steel picket. So we lose our 5'8". Robbie Kearns fell off a horse, horse that year, so we lose mm. our, one of our forwards. Um, and then we played at Olympic Park in the first semi-final against the Dragons and they absolutely blow us off the park. I think it would have been a you know a 20 plus point loss and all of a sudden you what goes from flying goes to being shattered 
I, th- I think we should just put into context too that Dragon side. And look, both these teams, yeah. there's no way they would fit under the salary cap now, and they didn't back then either. They had special dispensation because Saint, it was a merger of St George and Illawarra, and it was an absolute star-studded mm. lineup that they had. I mean, Rod Wishart didn't even make their team for <laughs> the 17 for the first game. Yeah. He was on the bench in the grand final because Mark Coyne yeah. was out injured. Their bench for the gra- in the grand final was uh, was Rod Wishart, Brad Mackay. Craig Fitzgibbon and Colin Ward, and they had, you know, players. Paul McGregor was their captain. Nathan Blacklock, Anthony Mundine, Nathan Luke Brown, Patton, Nathan Brown. Yeah. Um, it, it was a super yeah. Lance Thompson. I think you'd probably talk about two sides that were mixed with some really key senior players, and then technically the, the next crop of kids that were at the start of their journeys that had come from all parts of the world that were going to have, you know, five, six, seven, eight-year career, ten-year careers for for some of those players. So. Yeah, you know, it was a, I, st- I watched a game the other day. I, I never watched the first half until about three or four weeks ago um, just because of how bad the feeling was. You're always <laughs> happy to watch the highlights of the second half or the second half because you know the end result uh, is in your favour. But I sat down and watched it the other day. We actually weren't that bad the first half to be, to be down 14-4 at half time. Uh, the last... To, to understand how the momentum swung, certainly to where, you know, made some big tackles, dropped some balls... The Dragons technically sort of started stop playing. You know, Mundine doesn't pass or they don't score a try. But the last 10 or 15 minutes, like, they, they were bad. After watching the game now and knowing the knowledge I have about not football, but they were really bad, the Dragons, the last 15 minutes, which gave us the shot at the penalty try. Um, you know, gave us the opportunity. So we even even to be at that stage of the game, like we we, we got flogged by the Dragons in the first semi-final. We just beat Canterbury on the bell. We just beat Parramatta on the bell, and then we arrived there. We were in Sydney for about four days or five days. It was because of grand final breakfast. Uh, I believe we. I think we come up on the. Th- I think the breakfast might have been Thursday morning or Friday morning. Mm-hmm. We flew up. Say it was a Wednesday afternoon. Breakfast on Thursday. Stayed in Sydney. From then on, we didn't go back to Melbourne. Again, we based ourselves out of, out of Brighton. We just trained at a local park. It was nothing flash, um, and hung around there for a couple of days. Family and sponsors and all that had a had a, a brunch with us on the Sunday uh, before we sort of jumped on the bus and went out to the venue. I remember feeling really nervous before the game, like sick sort of feeling, um, sort of not sure how to take it. I mean, even you talk about what happens before the game. Two-minute two bell has gone. The coach has spoke to us and he's gone out of the room. And Glenn Lazarus, who's had won five premierships, I think it was, at two clubs, starts talking about... You know, it's his last game about how important a grand final is. Don't blow it. And literally some tears come out of the corner of his eyes and he starts crying. And then the ref taps on the bell and goes, OK, Storm, out you go. You're like, holy shit. Like, you know, so I think that led a little bit to how bad we played the first half because we were kids, mm. you know, and on a big stage and the captain's crying. crying made yeah. you, like It was just a massive shock to us. So, you know, that's why I think when I talk about it was a relief at full time because we didn't really get to celebrate it because we were never in front comfortably enough to celebrate it, but to go from the worst feeling so far in my career at halftime to probably the biggest relief at full time, the fact that you've won it. I don't know how we won it, but we did. So, and then obviously the next few days was, you know, your, our own plane back to Melbourne. I got to sit in the cockpit flying back to Melbourne as, <laughs> as the Clive Churchill medalist. Flying the plane? No, I didn't get to fly the plane. Trophy up the front? Trophy, nah, trophy up the front. Um, um, you know, obviously couple of beers, meat pie, just um, back to Melbourne. We went back to, obviously, Olympic Park or Punt Road where all the training facility was with all our fans and, and, and then Street Parade with the AFL the following week um, as both premiers of us and, the, and North Melbourne Kangaroos. And f- from For me, for example, 97 was the first time I got to play first-grade football and I got beaten in the World Cup 
final. 98 was successful. 99 to win the comp. You sort of, and I think I went to the best club in the competition probably first by going to the Melbourne Storm. Yep. So I think you had the ability of thinking that they're all pretty much similar. You're all going to have success no matter where you go. And I chased winning the premiership for the rest of my career because of how good that feeling was. And I probably probably didn't either understand it or appreciate it as much as I should have I was a kid. And I think the way that we won it was just a shock. The, um, it was a weird sort of game. Obviously, you mentioned it was a huge comeback. I don't know how yeah. many times a team's come from 14-0 down in yeah. a grand final to win. Like you said, you're a bit rattled in the first half. There were some, some errors. The Dragons were all over you. I was looking at the way the game panned out, and twice you guys took penalty goals. You went from 14-0 down to 14-2 down with a 3-2 yeah. in front, and then I think it was 18-12 to 18-14. So it's still you know, not what we would see today, logically, a, a time to take the two, and it ended up being crucial. I think, and maybe that was just Chris's way uh, to just calm the nerves, you know, just mm. to try to get hold of the game. You know, maybe he thought there was, the momentum was all with the Dragons and had to stop the momentum. So by taking the two points, it stopped the momentum, gave us a chance to restart and just take some breaths. So it's unusual in the way, in what you watch football now. You know, they, mm. they take the tap. They know they're going to either screw or try or build pressure. So, you know, it was unusual ways of thinking. But um, I think he's a, you know, Chris, I still even now would reference it you know, by motivating terms or, you know, bringing a team together. And, and as I said, I, Chris played the flat and fast style that was certainly created from Rugby Union. That's where he got the idea from. It's a style that I liked. And then to get... I had ultimate trust in him as a coach. And he was still a guy that every decision I made throughout the rest of my career from that time onwards, he was the only person I ever sought advice from uh, in relation to football. Um, so sort of then later become a bit of a mentor. So um, it was different. You know, he obviously had great success at Canterbury as a player, great success as a coach, goes off to, to Halifax and has great success mm. over there. You know, had enormous success with Australia. So, um, yeah, I, I still rate him as a, as a big reason why why my career, from sort of a start to going to Melbourne, I was blessed to have gone there with a couple of people that I was to be able to be around. And then, uh, as I said, the other day to go back and, and celebrate 20 years with all the players, um, unfortunately, Stephen Kearney couldn't attend because of being coach of the Warriors. Um the, the coach was there, the two assistant coaches were there, the physio was there, the trainer was there. It was just, mm. it just I think it shows the bond that was created 20 years ago. Uh, we all carry tattoos or across <laughs> our bodies uh, from that time onwards. And it was, it was, as I said, it was the highlight of my career. Um, and, and, and I don't think nothing come close to it. You talk about that culture and that spirit that was kind yeah. of built so quickly and I assume that was just by putting the right people in the right spots at the start. Do you kind of look at what's happened since with you know Craig Bellamy and yeah. Cameron Smith and all the success and the grand finals they've had since and kind of feel like that initial group really contributed to sort of setting the platform for everything that followed? Yeah, I think so. I think, you, I think you know, Chris spoke about it the other day when we had the lunch down there about he got the opportunity to create a club from nothing. So there's no culture there, there's no players there, there's no taking over the team that someone else hasn't had success with. So he, he looked at it as a great opportunity to create his own. Uh, and obviously, I, th I think having John Rebo and Chris Johns and probably Glenn Lazarus, who knew what Brisbane were all about down there, um, the recruitment was obviously important to get good players or people that wanted to train hard. Um, I think in some way we started, I remember even at the lunch, I think they had a 09 team was also there. They were celebrating 10 years and, and they spoke a little bit about the guys like Matty Guyer and Danny Williams and and Robbie Kearns and still, the, still some of the guys that had crossed eras that mm. might have still been there when the 09 team had started training or arriving. So that, that helped them a little bit. I, I think Craig's done a wonderful job uh, in taking that 
culture and standard and professionalism and training ethic to a, to a better level, to a higher level. Um, they don't ref- they don't forget about their past. Um, they obviously um, understand that quite a lot. Um, they they make you feel really special or welcome when you go back to any reunions or old boys things, which mm. which makes you feel like wearing that purple jersey uh, was an honour and that you were selected to play in the team type of thing. So they do they do do things a little bit better. Um, I think how Craig's been able to, to more technically he's coached three golden boot winners or four golden boot winners throughout his career in GI, Billy, Cooper and Cameron. Um, their possibilities, one of them's probably the best player as the best fullback I think I've ever seen. Mm. Uh, the dummy half's probably the best player I've ever seen. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, it comes from hard work and, and what's inside themselves, but it comes from the culture, the leadership and the, and the guidance, I suppose, that Craig's given them down there as well. Yes. I, I think that the, the the Melbourne Storm was started by you know, the masterstroke was getting Chris Anderson in as coach. Yeah. He bought in the, even though he st- they wanted to start their own culture. He bought in the Canterbury culture, yeah, right. which was really successful. As you touched yeah. on, John Rebo and and uh, Chris Johns uh, and Lazo yeah. bought the that Brisbane culture. So he had that combination. And then Craig Bellamy, he played at Canberra when Canberra were great. Yeah, and then he began his coaching career at Brisbane, and he. So he has he so had, he had, had that a taste well. of good good clubs. The other thing, like you, you talk about the culture, like we went, we had dinner sort of every Tuesday night in the off season when we first all arrived there, just and we'd go out and drink with the with players, partners, and people from the club. So you become a football club, not a football team. Yes. Um, so then we had the social club after the game, which is totally new to what you do in Sydney. You, you would normally go back to a leagues club or do a presentation where you go back to your social club with all your members. Remember, even for the very first occasion, having to warm up indoor on a basketball court with joggers on because the corporates were having dinner in the glass house as a new yeah. interactive mm. way of trying to get fans to rugby league in Melbourne. It was it was weird and unique. I, I remember the first time warming up in joggers, leaving your boots in the change rooms because from a kid of eight years of age when I started playing football, you warmed up on the park. You generally warmed up on the field. You kicked the ball. You had a feeling for things. All of a sudden, you're in a basketball court with a net set up so you can't kick your, your football onto the dinner plate of the, of the sponsors <laughs> to then walk back inside and put your boots on. And I still remember, you know, the, the trigger for me, and I talk about some things about, you know, how it changed the ability to don't care too much about preparation, but to run out of the tunnel with your boots on and hear Thunderstruck playing, it was like a trigger, the hair on the back of my neck even the other day at the lunch that I a bit about. That, to me, became an enormous trigger. And it was a... It was a it was like red cordial. It was like it was full of sugar, you know. It was just so exciting to to hear that. Then when that whistle blew at, a, at Olympic Park, it was like, oh, it's our graveyard. You know, we're going to go out and play and, and no one's going to beat us here. So it, it created that belief. And But you think about the difference of what, what like how it was created and warming up inside. And yeah, yeah. We, we play on a field that's got an athletics track around it and... Technically, we had six metering goals and a few, <laughs> few things were a little bit odd. <laughs> well, that's right. You had to, like, it was Melbourne's massive AFL yeah. ground. There's not, I mean, they could, the name of the new stadium is, the official name is the uh, Melbourne Rectangular Stadium. Yes, and that's right, yeah. And then we, you know, like Cold Heroes, you think about what Marcus By did. You know, you talk about, um, you know, Marcus Sebo, for example, mm. of Marcus, There was a Marcus By stand. You know, that, that's a, he, was a, mm. he was a hero down there, you know, for those first couple of years and, you know, he was he was an enormous player to come up, and then another guy that no one had really heard about. He played for the the Chargers or Titans or whoever they were at the time, and before he came to Melbourne. But you know, becomes a cult hero down there, and the fans obviously have got someone to to relate to, and they go, like, why do we want to go and watch rugby league instead of AFL? Well, the Marcus By stand was a pretty cool place to come and watch it. Mm. Just just let's talking about Melbourne Storm wingers and grand final. Let's talk about how Craig Smith actually 
came to be yeah. in that grand final team because he didn't play in the semi-final, the, the, the game against the Dragons down there. No. Ben Anderson was the 5'8", and Matty Guy was on the wing. Yep. You guys, as you mentioned, got towelled up. Yes. Chris had to make a tough selection. Like, yeah, we had the to make The toughest a, selection choice. Probably the toughest selection choice is being a dad. It was his, you know, tell his son that he's not going to play week till the semi-finals. And as you said, you know, Scotty Hill was our regular 5'8". Uh, you know, Benny was always full-time in our squad and trained with us all year. Um, but probably didn't get to play many games. And Scotty Hill gets hurt. As I said, I think it was about round 24, about two or three weeks ago before the finals. And then you're right, you know, we, we, we probably have success the last few games. Then Benny comes in and plays week one of the finals as the 5'8". And, and, and Chris must have saw something that thought we can't win technically with Benny playing there or whether he got a small niggling injury. I, I can't quite remember. But, you know, it's a, it's a big call. Um, that guy who probably never played 5'8", goes from the wing and plays 5'8", and literally becomes just a running player. Uh, and then Craig Smith comes in, and I, and I think Craig Smith would then become the goal kicker. Yep. Nailed some big conversions um, in those couple of semifinals. Well, you won all those games by two, two points. Two points, yeah. Nailed a couple of kicks from the sideline. I still, We still mucked around the other day about it being the, the prettiest winger that's ever played the game. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he, even, he, he even talks about the, the, the 99 grand final. Like, you know, that he was lucky to be given not lucky but lucky to get a jersey because he'd played three games at the end of the year yeah. mm. and the three games he plays was the two semi-finals and a grand final and goes down in history about being the winger that got knocked out <laughs> yeah well, and he, play, he played a lot of the season before but he didn't yeah. play too many games outside no. of those no. well, that's, and that was probably the emergence of Matty Guyer um, no Matty Guyer played State of Origin in 99 yeah. yeah you know that's how that's how good he was going you know come over from Perth and you play, I think he started in 98. Matty would have spent a, a lot of the time travelling to Brisbane Norths, you know, full-time mm. in our system mm-hmm. in Melbourne, but I'm you know, flying on a plane to play in Brisbane Norths and then, you know, keeps trying, keeps trying and, and then, you know, and then plays in 99 for, for us, plays in 99 for the New South Wales and probably forces, you know, mm. Marcus Byers generally one winger that's always going to get picked. Yeah. You know, and then, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, Matty Guy had won a number of awards in Melbourne for being Clubman of the Year. And that just probably summed up how good a bloke he was. Like, throughout different eras, you know, we in our team from 98 onwards, and then he was still a big part of the, the 09 side. And, 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 and a lot of the guys, when Smith and Cronk and Slater and those blokes yeah. come, the Matty Guy and, and, and Danny Worms were some of those guys that sort of carried what the old was like to introduce to the new. Yeah. Matty told me that. So Matty was a goal kicker, yeah. and, then, and then when Craig Smith came in, obviously Craig was a better goal kicker. Yeah. So Craig did all the goal kicking. Yeah. Matty, so Matty said he stopped practicing. He hadn't practiced for three or four weeks, and then well, when lucky Craig it was, lucky it was in front. When, <laughs> exactly. When, so when Smithy got knocked out, he yeah. he had to take the kick, yeah. and he said he was really nervous, yeah. even though it was in front. He was really nervous. He couldn't remember his routine, his, yeah. uh, how many steps he took, etc. But he also said when he was watching the replay on the screen, he knew it was. a should have been a penalty try, yeah. but he was he watched it just to make sure that Craig Smith dropped the ball before he hit, before grounding yeah. it. Because if he grounded the ball, the goal kick would have been out where oh. where, where he'd scored it. And Matty wasn't very confident because he yeah. wasn't that confident about kicking it from him. Well, and I remember feeling the same <laughs> thing after after we got the try was going to be awarded, and you knew that Bill was walking towards the mm. goalpost. And all of a sudden, you do start thinking, "Well, hang on, like who's going to kick the goal?" Uh, Tony Martin and I, I think kicked it a little bit the year before. I would take the ones out wide because I didn't like missing the ones close because <laughs> you're not expected yeah. to kick the ones out wide but we weren't very good at it and Tony would take the ones in close so his percentage was enormous but he never practised he just got the easy ones you know so there was no apart from Craig Smith we really that was not really a, a thing we like, was worried about probably in that time like 
you know, being a goal kicker was important to a squad. We just picked players. Mm. So, yeah, it was instantly becoming an important thing to kick the goal from in front. Because in the end, it was a two-point victory. That's it right. Could yeah. been, it could have been drawn if we kick it, miss from the sideline. We go extra time. It change, there could have been a whole new twist again. Mm. If I can change tack a little bit, you've touched on a few times the reception from the fans down there. Yeah. And like Brad, you said at the top, it was an expansion team. Yeah. It's an AFL town. I think you said the first home game was pretty much a sellout yeah. back in 98. Did you kind of feel like there was this big untapped potential because you could probably you know walk down the streets most times in, in Melbourne and people don't know who you are if well, you're an NRL player. I still think they've got some of that ability now. Yeah. You know, massive capital city with the with with players that they wouldn't recognise as well as the AFL players. I, I think we they did a lot of promotional work. Uh, we never knew how successful it was going to be. Um, I sort of I went down there as an opportunity. I didn't mm. really go down there to think how great we're going to be or it's a chance to play first grade football you know, for mm. your life, you know, and, mm. and a full-time career. So um, we trained really hard. I think, as I said, we won. We beat the Dragons away, or the Steelers away, it might have been, because they wouldn't have been emerged side then. In 98. 98. Oh, no, so our a, first yeah. game was against the, the, Steelers the Steelers in Wollongong, right. and we, we won, I think, even then, just on the bell. Mm. Uh, and I think I remember that trip home. It was sort of like there was a, a feeling of, re- not relief, but the, like, the excitement of winning, that we were going to be a decent side. We trained really hard. And then we won a few games away. And then I think going back to Olympic Park for that first game, I think it was a Friday night, it was packed. You know, it was a buzzing place and an atmosphere. So I think that made you feel like we're going to have some fans. Um, and then and then I think by being successful that year, sort of enabled a lot of those fans to come. The arriving home on the plane after 99 blew me apart because, you know, you, you play at a stadium that's got a, a sell-out crowd, you've got your own family and friends and, and sponsors in a room. You jump on the plane, you go back to Melbourne. We were an hour out of uh, out of Melbourne Airport, back to Gosh's Paddock or Punt Road to where the party was going to be, which is where you thought everyone would be. Literally, to not be able to get off the plane at the airport blew me away. Mm. That they'd travel that far out after watching the game. We're in our second year of existence and we win a grand final. And to make that effort, it was, it was unbelievable. It was like rock star feelings. It was like, get out of the plane, leave your bag at the airport because... We can't wait for it because we couldn't get out of the airport and then we had to get back to to Gosh's for where the members were to have a celebration and then unveil the trophy and all that, you know. Mm. So, yeah, it was it was a, a weird feeling, but obviously an, a great weird feeling, like a sensational feeling that you, you that I never got to understand or feel again, mm. Mm. you know. So it was it was a good time. What about the the parade you said with the uh, with the North Melbourne North Kangaroos. Melbourne, yeah, Kangaroos. Yeah, obviously it was a, a, a street parade throughout the middle of Melbourne on the fact of having both of us won the premierships, uh, you know, which was which was huge. I think, you know, we go down to Melbourne, you know that you're playing or you're competing against AFL teams and then, you know, to to actually be invited as part of their parade and, and then, you know, we, we had a, obviously a few days on our own and then you go and link up with them later on and you, you, you take the trophy or two trophies around and, and celebrate all that and... You know, Wayne Carey was the king for, for North mm-hmm. Melbourne, you know, just to hang out and say hi to him and talk to their, some of their players. We'd done some cross-promotions with North Melbourne as having the same footwear company as a sponsor, you know. So, Fila, we're a partner of both. Uh, I went to the Noosa Triathlon or John Longmire the end of that year as well with Chris and John and just as a, a thing for Fila. So, it was, it was the start of going from sort of being a kid to a first grader to, to wing a premiership to all these other amazing things that you get to come with it and the people you get to meet along the way were also really, really special. Well, I think Jeff Kennett was the Premier of Victoria yeah. and he was a big Melbourne Storm yeah. fan or certainly became one. Yeah. Molly Meldrum, obviously, yeah. has been Molly a big fan. Yeah, Molly become a big fan, yeah. yeah. So, as you said, like they've, they've they've tapped into a market that 
whoever would have thought rugby league would have worked in Melbourne was was pretty creative or, or gutsy to make a decision to go down there. And you know they they, they still pride themselves on probably probably trying to become the best franchise in Australia in any code now. Mm-hmm. So you talk about twenty years has gone from how will they go? Will they last? Will they survive? They'll probably have no fans to have some of the best players our games ever have, to have won a number of premierships, um, to be successful. And then, as you said, that the brand, the fans, the, the celebrities that want to be a part of the Melbourne Storm has, has been very popular for them. Brad, you've obviously done a lot of interviews around this sort of feature you're putting together. Are there any other kind of side stories or, or recollections that you've, you've stumbled across? Well, look, yeah, there's there's plenty, and uh, I mean, Matt Guy, he told me that um, he said he the thing he remembers the most after he said it was like an out of body feeling yeah. when the full time siren rang, and he said the next thing he he remembers is seeing his brother running onto the field with a <laughs> bottle of VB in his hand. Yeah, yeah lads, they're doing the cartwheels yeah, and yeah. weren't very successful. Well, I think you know it was a bit of a, I think it was a re- relief, a weird feeling. It was like a you know you talk about the crowd, you know. I, the crowd was still fenced off for me because there was a bit of a, 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 a gap between right, the, the fence running track, and the running, the running track, track for the Olympics yeah, where so, Cathy Freeman yeah. won the gold medal. And Hugh Jackman sung the national anthem. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you even knew who Hugh, Jack, Hugh Jackman was back yeah. then, but it's pretty I think pretty you, could feel, you could feel the noise of the venue when you were warming up because you, you warm up inside uh, and you could always get the sense that it was loud and there's a lot of things happening. But, you know, you, you talk about the ends of the grandstand still being created at that time. Yep. Um, you know, the... The, the crowd was enormous. As I said, I remember the, the feeling of the crowds changing momentum when we started getting back into the game and the, all of a sudden it felt like there was a lot of Melbourne Storm fans. Uh, I have some close friends that are Dragons fans now that still don't like what happened on that day. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was, a, you know, it was an amazing feeling. And, you know, then you know, the premiership rings and then you know, Reeves buys everyone else premiership rings yep. from the club just to know that we're all a part of it. And, um, yeah, it was... You know, we you know we got to go to all of the great codes that were playing in Melbourne, races, Grand Prix, um, play golf at some of the the best courses in Australia. It was a it was a it was a pretty cool couple of years. It was yeah the just uh, the you know the Dragons were a part of this as well. Yeah. I mean, if not for you know a penalty try at the death, yeah. that, that would have been their premiership. And I think what's you know there's a lot of debate at the moment about. Um, expansion of there yeah. too many teams in Sydney, all of those things. It's funny, but 20 years ago, we 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 decided the game decided to put a team in Melbourne. Yeah, you know, um, we're now talking about whether to go back to Perth or a second team yeah. in Brisbane, and also are there too many teams in Sydney? Well, this was the first merged team, and they were both in the grand final. Yeah. You would have thought, geez, that's set. This has shown the way of the future yeah. that we would have more of this, but mm. it sort of it stopped pretty much after that. Obviously, the Tigers and the Northern Eagles came in, and maybe they weren't as uh, successful as, as what the Dragons mm. were in terms of um, the two clubs um, coming together. But like, as, as I was saying before, there was some great stories around yeah. around the Dragons. You know, they, Trent Barrett and Anthony Mundine, yeah. two top line five eights yeah, yeah. into the same team. You know, there was all the talk about who was going to wear the number six jersey. I, mean, I still even remember the, the, the semi final when they beat Cronulla in the semi final and the, the backfits from from Mundine and, and Mundine Blacklock, yeah. and how exciting all that was. I still remember. The one game I do remember, I don't look forward to. Too, I don't remember too many games that I, I've really enjoyed playing in my career too often. I think you know the, the grand final replay on the MCG was unbelievable. Like to to have been criticised that we shouldn't have won the grand final, which we did, to to then be mouthed off, to then train a few days on the MCG, which is as a venue is unbelievable. Like you mm. you go there on the Ashes, yeah. you go there Boxing Day Test, you go there for a Bledisloe. Like all those events we're able to be a part of whilst living in Melbourne. 
you get to play on the place and then practice, you know, on, a, on this big turf and then to, for Mundine to come out where we'll show who the real premiers are and, you know, the, the, the unfortunate incident of Nathan Brown tapping the ball and hitting Lance on the head when he falls over from mm. 20 metre east. But the, was it 70 to 10 score yeah, line, yeah. the flogging? So, yeah, not many games do you get to not laugh in the game, but, you know, you want to really play well in and then you you have, you have moments where everything works. That was one of those nights where everything worked. I think, too, like regardless of what the score was and yeah. what happened on the, in that game, I think the significance of the Melbourne Storm winning the grand final yeah. in mm. in 1999 was that the grand final replay was played at the MCG. CG, yeah. You know, yeah. against the Dragons, who are, who are a massive brand and, right, and probably yeah. are one yeah. club that people in Melbourne did know because yeah. of the success that they yeah. had. Yeah, it was good. It was as I said, like I think I I didn't value or understand how hard they were to win or the importance of being in a good club and a great environment. You sort of just think, you know, wherever you go that you'll be able to have success. And, you know, it took me a number of years before I sort of... before you have some scars or some bad issues to to understand how hard winning a premiership is. You know, as I said, it's the greatest feeling I had as a player. Going to that club, um, playing some rep football with those players. You know, Scotty Hill and I had a great combination and and bits and pieces, you know... Tony Martin still is my best mate like that have come out of playing rugby league. And we're still extremely yeah. close. So, you know, there, there's some great memories and friendships that have been created, not only just a, the on-field result that will always go down the record book, um, but lifelong friends. And, yeah, it's, it, was, it was a great uh, decision to go down the Melbourne Storm. Well, Noddy, I could happily stand here all day asking yeah. you questions and, and reflections about the. Well, I, nearly uh, didn't, the I nearly didn't end up at the Storm, actually. You talk about Scotty Hill. I was going to be at the Steelers. Oh, I was forced to go to the Steelers. You know, there was some sort of mutual agreement that meant mm. that Scotty Hill and myself couldn't go to the same club. Um, I remember having the drive down to Sydney because uh, I was still at the Hunter Mariners at that stage. We were going to merge with the Gold Coast before, obviously, both of us went under. Um, I then go and have a meeting in Sydney with Michael O'Connor and Ian Frickberg. And I was told just to go to, I was go to get go to Canterbury. It was for one year, originally because they're a Super League club. Yep, so we'll go yep. and join Canterbury for one year, then we'll let you go to Melbourne because you both can't go to Melbourne. There must have been some secret deal done that Scotty and I couldn't go together. I signed a blank piece of paper after flying down to Melbourne one day, and Chris John said, "Just leave it with me, and we'll get it sorted." <laughs> and all of a sudden, uh, middle of January, <laughs> I'm driving down the freeway to Melbourne to to start a, a three year deal at the Melbourne Storm. So. What you, know, you think about what couldn't, that's right. What maybe didn't happen, and then I so I joined with the Steelers because I didn't know there was, you were going to be have to hunt a folded. Yep. I was like, well, I don't have a contract, so I'll just I signed a four year deal at Illawarra Steelers to play with Trent Barrett. I was just going to say, mate, and maybe yeah. if you and Trent had been the halves, yeah. maybe the so maybe the merger would never have happened. And then all of a sudden, yeah. it's like, oh no, there's we're coming back together, but there's still Super League contracts and ARL contracts, so you've got to. I was a hunter mariner, so I had to stay with the S brand and all that, so. It's weird how it all turned out. How how you even got there and should have gone different paths, and then and then what it was created. As you said, it was uh, so many different twists and turns mm. that have happened in my career. That if you had a chance to sit down and go, I signed here, I should have went there, I'd end up mm. here, and then I think things work out in the end for the for the good thing, for the good reasons or the right reasons. It's fascinating so many ways it could have nearly almost not worked out and then and then it does. Yeah. Um, I am aware that we've got to uh, get you out of here as much as I'd love to sit here peppering you with questions for the rest of the day. But, um, yeah, I massively appreciate your time and I hope everyone enjoyed listening to your recollections of 99 as much as I did. Thank you, guys.